the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. As some of you may remember, we left off in the sixth chapter of 1 Timothy. And today I'm going to address only two verses, just verses 1 and 2. We were talking about it being well with our soul. And you know, that's something we appropriate, as Todd said, by faith. It's not something that we create, is it? It's the truth. You know, the only one, you're a branch in the vine, right? If you're a child of God, you're a branch securely kept in the vine. And who holds you in the vine? He does, right? By his strong right hand, he holds you. Do you know that only God himself can ever cut a branch off the vine, and he will not remove one of his own. Nothing else can take you off the vine. Not problems, not the enemy, not even your own failures can cause you to fall off the vine. What does that mean? That means that you are always literally connected to the life of Christ. It is never diminished. It never rejects you. You are always attached to him. So the issue for us, the issue of faith, is never us creating that connection. It's us recognizing that connection. Constantly recognizing that we have never departed from that life. That that life is wholly connected to who we are. In fact, we became, we literally became the day Christ connected his life to us. We didn't become the moment we came into the world through birth. We became at the new birth. Now let's look at the sixth chapter. Verses 1 and 2. And we will remember that Timothy, whom Paul regarded as his spiritual son, is in Ephesus. And Paul has just recently been released from prison. And in the absence from the Ephesian church, the Ephesian church had fallen into carnality. And that was really grievous to Paul because Paul literally founded this church. He had discipled this church for a number of years. And he, in fact, installed most of its leadership. And at one time, the church at Ephesus had been the preeminent church of Asia Minor. It had founded most of the churches in Asia Minor. 
It was a church that was a powerful church in terms of the work of God, the movement of the Spirit of God. So this was very grievous to Paul. Now, when the leadership, and probably in association with some of its membership, became carnal, man-centered, so went the way of the whole of the church. They fell headlong into carnality, and it had gotten to the point that they were shaming and discrediting the witness and ministry of Christ by their behavior both in the church and out there in the world, in society, where they worked, in the workplace. Now, we've covered some of the issues dealing with ungodly behavior, most recently with widows and elders, but today we're going to cover it in the dealing with servants or slaves. The lost and pagan society stood and watched as the ministry of the gospel became a picture of selfishness, rebellion, and corruption. One thing we know, and that is that the enemy loves to make a display of the carnality of the people of God, doesn't he? He loves to put the Christian up in front of the world and and point at him and say, See? You see? Look at them. Their religion doesn't exempt them from the same appetites and things that we desire, right? Look at them. They're no different. Their salvation doesn't deliver them. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust and sensual craving of the flesh, and the lust and longing of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, pretentious confidence in one's resources, or in the stability of earthy things. These do not come from the Father, but are from the world. And the Ephesian church was demonstrating their carnality in the workplace, where once they had been a witness of the life of Christ, the overcoming life of Christ. So Paul's going to address this in verses 1 and 2. First, in verse 1, he deals with a servant under a non-Christian master. And then in verse 2, he deals with a servant under a Christian master. So, please open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And stand with me as I read our text. I am reading from the Amplified Bible. All who are under the yoke as bondservants, slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of honor and respect, so that the name of God and the teaching about him will not be spoken against. Those who have believing masters are not to be disrespectful toward them because they are brothers in Christ, but they should serve them better because those who benefit from their kindly service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these duties and principles." You may be seated. Now you say, I'm not sure I understand how in the world these admonitions towards slaves could have anything to do with me today. They have everything to do with you today. Now we can read about all that Paul endured. The beatings, the shipwreck, the nakedness, the hunger. 
We can read about all those things and we would say, now there goes a true servant of God who is enduring these things for the glory of God. But when I bring up to you these people who are under bondage, who are in captivity, who are literally in slavery, when I bring them up to you and say, for them, this too is the work and service of God, you might turn an eye towards me. But it is. Because I want you to understand something. It is so important that you understand this and you grasp hold of it. The body is not you. Your work and life upon this earth, is it has one, one purpose alone. To know him. And you know what? It doesn't matter whether it is poverty or prosperity. It doesn't matter what it is. Sickness, health, no matter what it is, it has purpose in him. And we endure it. How? By faith. By faith. By faith in the truth of who we are in Christ. Because what Paul needs to do here is he doesn't need to convict them of their whinging, complaining, and their victimization. What he needs to do is bring them into the truth of who they are. Because it's in the truth of who they are that they can recognize their connection to the vine. That they can say, I am overcoming in truth. Nothing is taking life from me, but I have been given a clean palette to paint and express the truth of Christ as my life. That I can demonstrate His strength in my weakness. That I can walk forward where others falter with a smile on my face and with joy in my heart. Paul has to remind them of who they are. Paul has to bring them into that truth because you can only convince the flesh to endure for so long. You can only convince the flesh to take on the hardships and the injustices of life for a very short window and then there has to be some incentive in it. Well, you endure because you're going to go to heaven one day. Well, that's a man-centered point of view. We don't endure because we're going to heaven one day. We endure because we're in the yoke with Christ. We endure because it is His strength. We endure because greater is He that is within you than he that is in the world. That is why we endure. In verses 1 and 2, again... Paul is instructing Timothy on how to address this issue because, as I mentioned earlier, it has become a problem in the workplace. And it's fair to assume that in the Ephesian church, they had many slaves. In ancient Rome, one census recorded a total population of 800,000 people. 500,000 of those were slaves. Ephesus, being part of the Roman Empire, boasted a huge slave population. It was estimated that there were over 60 million slaves throughout the Roman Empire. It was a lot greater number than those of free men. A lot greater number. So the Romans were very cruel when they crushed rebellion, when they crushed any kind of dissidence between the the slavery population or the enslaved population. Now, your, your translation 
may say bondservants. In the original language, the word there is doulos, which means slaves, okay? It has reference to a person who is in submission or subjection to another and has a required obedience to their master or employer. Now, this was an accepted part of Roman and Middle Eastern society. It was not unusual. They grew up with it. They, they, it was part of their economy. And slaves were of every race and color. May, uh, many, in fact, were, had been born into slaves. There were generations of slaves. Others were bought from uh, conquered territories, and their treatment varied from being accepted as part of the family. Others were mistreated as property. Slaves in the ancient world were, according to historians, primarily domestic servants. They were cooks, household managers, caregivers, even bookkeepers. They were artisans and craftsmen, teachers. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. Teachers educators. The Greeks were highly prized as slaves by the Romans because they all wanted to learn Greek and they liked the culture of the Greeks and the education of the Greeks. So it was not uncommon in that day and age even for parents to sell their children to other families for domestic help. It was an employee contract or employer contract that would last over a number of years and some of them were unending. You will ask me, why am I going through all this? Why am I telling you this? Because you need to have some context. The term slave had a much broader application than perhaps we're uh, familiar with here in America. Now, I will tell you, and I will make this statement, that it is a godless, inhumane treatment of people, regardless, period. And we're well rid of it. Now, Paul is not speaking to them about social reform. No matter how desperate the need for social reform might have been, Paul's not speaking to them about that. And what's interesting is Jesus also was a huge disappointment to the Jews because the Messiah was supposed to come and deliver them from the oppression of the Roman government. But he didn't do that either. In fact, he didn't even address it most of the time. They probably would have accepted him if he had Both Jesus and Paul had the same agenda, and that is the gospel, the revealing of the truth of God as the salvation of men. Now, what the slave, the servant, those who are in difficult situations and circumstances have to embrace is that your lot in life is not how you define life. Your circumstances are not how you define life, regardless of how good or bad they may be. If you sum up life according to what you're enduring, then life for you can either be really good or really miserable, right? But there is a level place, a level place that is a blessed place, the place where God declares your life. And that is in union with him. There's no up. There's no down. There's no in between. We are in him. Genesis 2.15 says, So the Lord God took man he had made and settled him in the garden of Eden to cultivate and keep it. Where, Where does that come from? Well, let me tell you. God designed man to work. He did. God designed man to work. Now, a lot of people feel like work is victimization. 
But God considered it a blessing. It was not part of the curse. The curse came later. The curse came when man screwed up his version of work. Work was intended to bless man, to give him a pathway for obedience and communion. Work is not part of the curse. Work for the Christian is unto the Lord, which means we share the yoke of labor with Christ so that we can prove his strength in our weakness. Work is part of the Christian existence. Why? You're here to know him, aren't you? How are you going to know him? You're going to know him in the hard things. You're going to know him in the good things. You're going to know him in the bad things. But you're going to know him in things. And the predominant thing in your life, most especially younger couples, is work. And if you believe that you only know God when in that special time of worship, or you only know God in the quiet times in your home, I would ask you, how much do you know God? And what have you restricted yourself to in terms of intimacy with him? Because do you think God's pursuit of you is limited to those sacred hours? Absolutely not. You don't see the branch jumping off the vine and on the vine, off the vine and on the vine, do you? No, the union of the branch to the vine is constant. We abide in him. And by abiding in him, we receive his nurture in the midst of the good and the bad. He spreads a table before me in the presence of my great friends and loved ones and at church. Isn't that what it says? He spreads a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Why? Because nothing will illustrate the light like the darkness. And his nurture is always about you and in you. God is no respecter of a man standing in this life. He desires that we do all things in the context of his life within. We are the ministry of Christ. We are the word become flesh to the world regardless of what role we play. Whatever we do should be ministry. And I'm not just talking about evangelism, and that's what the modern church relegated us to. Are you witnessing in the workplace? Better than that, are you showing them Jesus? Is there something about your life that cannot be explained in terms of your flesh? I ask you, look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Does that in any way describe your life? Are you blessed where he says you should be blessed. Well, I'll tell you that you are. Are you embracing it? Are you recognizing it? I read a quote by John Calvin, who said, There is no part of life or conduct, however insignificant, which should not be related to the glory of God. A job, as I mentioned before, particularly for young people, is where they spend the majority of their waking hours. So what do you believe about your communion with Christ? What do you believe about it? Does he wait for your quiet time? Does he wait for your time at church? He is where you are. Do you believe you're abiding in Christ? Then you believe he's abiding with you. He is where you are. He is your classroom. Where you are is your classroom. He doesn't want to show you something where you're not. He doesn't want to teach you something where you're not. He wants to teach you and grow you and show you and mature you and expand you and experience communion with you where you are. Where you are is your place of intimacy. Where you are is your lab for the exercise of your union life. 
In Christ, there's neither slave nor free. Where will you determine to live? We were born to serve. Jesus came to not be served, but to serve. In Galatians 3.28, it says, There is now no distinction in regard to salvation, neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Or for you who believe are all one in Christ. No one can claim a spiritual superiority. Now you would think, what good does that do the guy that's having to pull plow or having to work in the fields or having to do slave labor from morning to night? What good does it do? Well, it depends on where he's living. Because that verse won't do you a bit of good in the flesh. Because in the flesh, man has standing. There's the rich and the poor. There's the weak and the strong. There's the healthy and the diseased. There's always a separation in the flesh. But if you will live to the truth of what God has written about you in His Word, the truth, what God has shown you in your heart, what He has revealed to you by His Spirit, if you will live in the truth of your union with Him and your connection to the vine, you will find that you are more than a conqueror. You will find that you have strength to smile in the face of an enemy, to love an enemy, to bless those who curse you. If you don't, you'll take on the offense, the offense of flesh. What perspective are we to live from, worldly or heavenly? We are not at the mercy of flesh. We live this life by grace. How does that leave us room for judgments of man and God? Well, I'm just really in a bad... I wish the Lord would deliver. I can't believe he allowed me to be here. I can't believe he put me in this marriage. I can't believe he put me in this job. I can't believe my kids are the way they are. On and on it goes. And my boss is mistreating me. Why didn't God... I know God wants me out of there, but I need a paycheck. And unless he gives me another job, I can't get... And now I'm not making... And on and on it goes. Can you tell I do counseling? On and on it goes. Listen. Pride claims its rights. Pride always claims its rights. When we say, I have a right, let me ask you a question. Who is the I you're referring to there? When we say, I declare, I deserve, who is the I that deserves? Are we talking about the flesh or the new creation? Flesh is ever grasping to secure what it wants and believes it needs. Yet in this world, everything comes with a price. Everything's conditional, isn't it? But for the child of God, the truth of where you live, hope is not conditional. Freedom is not conditional. Joy is not conditional. Peace is not conditional. Victory is not conditional. Love is not conditional. In the man of this world, and for the Christian, comfort is conditional. Again, verse 1 reads, All who are under the yoke... As bond servants, slaves, are to regard their own masters as worthy of honor and respect, so that the name of God and the teaching about him will not be spoken against. And some of you have blasphemed in your translation. And Paul is addressing those Christians who were serving non-Christians. And it's clear that there were quite a few slaves in that early church as fellow worshipers, brothers and sisters in Christ. And it seems that some of them had been unruly, rebellious, and critical of their masters. Those masters were not unaware of those Christians' faith. 
and the name of Christ was being blasphemed. These slaves had become carnal and self-centered. They had forgotten who they are. In doing this, they yoked themselves with flesh and were complaining underneath the load. That's the yoke as they saw it. Under the yoke is not indicating abuse, but it is illustrating that they were under the obligation of service. It was a common term used. Now, I want you to understand something about the yoke. Jesus made the yoke a place of union. That's what it is for us. It's not a place of burden. It's a place of union. It's a place of communion. It's a place where we yoke his strength to our weakness. And it is a place of victory. It's a place of overcoming. It's a place that pulls us through the hardest and darkest times. Let me ask you a question. A friend of mine asked this one time. Would it change your worldview if you saw Jesus standing beside you when your boss fired you? Would it change your worldview if you saw Jesus and he was holding your hand when the doctor said cancer? Would it change your worldview when you, you watched your children rebel and slam the door behind them going out into the world? And Jesus stood there weeping with you. Would it change your worldview that whatever, in whatever you encounter in life, you could see him there embracing you, crying with you, laughing with you, sharing each moment with you? Would it change it? Would you be strong enough to love? Would you be strong enough to care? Would you be able to say no or yes as his will? moved you. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m., at 1307 Blanco Woods, at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods, just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.